of never out of bounds of course this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts uh it's sunday morning uh so we're gonna get into a few things here today i got a word on the street segment and then uh, i'll be getting into some college football we are in the midst of nfl week 13 so we will be going over that uh tomorrow night how we normally do of course after monday night football but there's so much college football to go over I wanted to go over all that, uh, not so much on the news side, but of course in top 25 action, and then uh, we had the war on the street, so let's go ahead and get into it, uh, of course, uh, with the news, and uh, I wanted to start this segment off with nosy-ass Jackson City Police. Now, uh, pending a final legal review, uh, the Mississippi capital of Jackson will allow residents and businesses alike to send their surveillance footage directly to their uh, their newly installed command center. This includes door, doorbell cameras. Now, some small cities, uh, mostly in the South, have shown interest, while other uh, while others, including uh, one out here uh, called Rialto, I believe that's in the central coast i could be off a little bit about that location don't hold me to that but it is in california uh just kind of an example of different places not you know for it and against it uh they are against it and uh, many of the cities that are against it are claiming of course uh this basically violates privacy which i agree with 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 it also increases police pressure again another solid fact that i do agree with uh, i think they'll just be kind of just i don't know i mean i just i just see it being you know a situation where police are in a certain area or still profiling especially i'm gonna get to my uh kind of my feelings my deeper feelings about this in just a second but let me get into the actual facts about it um and also, uh, these cities feel like it could lead to, you know, higher levels of arrest of arrest for low-level offenses. Again, all three points that I agree with. Um, now, this this is the quote coming from Jackson's mayor. Uh, this is um, Oak. Uh, now, mind me if I say if I pronounce this the wrong way. At least the first name. Forgive me. Chokwe Lumumba. Um, he went on to say. What you see behind us is an opportunity, an opportunity to better observe and fill in gaps. Now, this is, you know, what I feel about this right now. And then, um, well, let me actually, you know what, let me just finish another big fact here. Now, Jackson is facing a, a crime issue. Uh, they had 84 murders last year, which is one of their highest counts in 20 years. And this is also a very high rate, being that this is just a city of 160,000. Uh, so, and also on top of this, uh, state funds have yet to make their way to the city. Mind you, this is the capital city. But 
not let's let's I'll get back to that in just a second. Now back to Mayor Lumumba. Now Mayor Lumumba is very interesting because his father, um, I don't know exactly his first name right now, but again, uh, his father was inspired by uh, African Democratic leader uh, Patrice Lumumba. His father changed his name to match that. His father was Pan African. His father was what you would call quote unquote pro black. But like I said, Pan African, a little bit different. Um, different angle of the pro-black experience and pro-black movement um i wouldn't just say just pro-black like that but it's it's a little bit different and um but with that being said i think mayor uh lumumba in this case has not followed in the steps of his father with this one uh just kind of just running into kind of because first of all i just happened to look at the name i said oh okay very interesting i find out about his father and his father being anti-colonial, having those ties, again, trying to be more like Patrice Lumumba. His father was involved before his passing, was a mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, and was involved in these pan-African groups um, within the U.S. And just kind of seeing that, I don't think that that move, you know, this move reflects that. Um, he's taking a move here and he's working with a Georgia private company called Fusis, who also builds networks of public and private security cameras for law enforcement. That's not anti-colonial to me. That's not necessarily pan-African. Uh, I understand that there's a crime issue, uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, this state government has decided to not allocate these funds to their capital city, which is, in my opinion, a disgrace i think in my opinion capital cities they might not be the most prominent city within any state just depends on where you're at but i think if it's not la or if it's not sorry if it's not california or new york or possibly texas your capital city should probably be the very best city in your state okay um it should be a reflection of what you would want the state to be i don't know what it takes for it to be that way but i think it's ridiculous that the capital city of mississippi uh has probably just as bad as a crime rate as just as some of those other small towns there in Mississippi or whatever, or even worse, or those other cities. I think it should be, again, uh, now whatever it takes, again, this is the seat of the state government. I don't see how it would be difficult for the state government to see, oh, the place where I work at is trash. Let me improve this first. That's very difficult for me to kind of sit back and, and, and look on. Forcing this guy, I don't know, maybe it was forced or whatever, making this guy giving this guy the idea to work with this private outside company again it's a southern thing yeah whatever but again working with law enforcement going against in my opinion who he kind of is because that's not what his father was about. i don't think his father would have done something like that that's just me and the information that i was able to obtain that's not a pan-african move that's not a uh, pro-people move in general not even just outside of just black folk that's not pro people because again it would again a lot of the a lot of the uh pushback against this is because of the low i mean the increase of possible well the possible increase of low level uh arrest which i think it would generate for no apparent reason and then and again there's there's uh profiling here and also that's another reason why i feel like jackson mississippi has not received the funds it should maybe it's some institutional racism here and just people just saying, look, the Confederates and those and those uh, descendants just still being mad and saying, oh, this is a black run city now. The black people live here now. There's a black mayor here now. So let's not allocate any funds until they all leave or whatever. 
that, I mean, that's what it seems like to me. Um, there's no reason why the capital city should have to to have to wait at for any you know for any long periods of time for any type of state funding. It should be directly funneled since that's where the state is at. I, this is ridiculous, and uh, just again, just kind of kind of showing you how 1984 they want to take it and um yeah that's not that's not where we want to be we don't want to be in george orwell's uh society i don't think y'all gonna want that sorry we won't have this we definitely won't be having the same freedoms if they're gonna be starting to do that that's just my opinion uh we have some other national news to talk about kyle Rittinghouse uh has been um well it's been decided that there's enough evidence to put him up to trial. Of course, Kyle Rittinghouse uh, is from Illinois, 17-year-old. Uh, he is being charged with two counts of murder in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and during August, during those protests, uh, you know, police brutality protests. Uh, now, Rittenhouse is also uh, the focus. Well, also, I'm sorry, is also facing the charge of underage possession and also another attempted murder charge. Now, recent uh, celebrities on the right wing have stepped up and in uh, legal funds as well have stepped up and uh, paid this man's bond or his bail whatever you call it uh, which is rather you know the way it is uh, it's unfortunate because for a crime like murder you think he wouldn't have bail especially if it was multiple murder but again that just kind of shows you again it's a reflection of privilege we can say what we want. We can sit there and say, you know, hey, this, that, and the other. But I highly doubt even a black guy would be able to buy his way out of a, a double murder. Um, at least, you know, post the bail. At least be given a bail, um, despite whether or not he had money or not. And we know a lot of us do not just have two million sitting like that. Now, you know, look again. If 50 Cent and one of those rich guys, you know, got caught up with something like this, they might be able to do it. I, I doubt that, that they'd give him a bail, though. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That, that's just how we um, have allowed this uh, society to become, and this uh, this legal society to become. This is what happens when you're not proactive and legal in your state governments and your local governments. You kind of just sit back, you let other people take care of it for you, and you sit back and you watch things happen like this. He gets you know bailed out by a legal a legal group. Ooh, that's ooh. I mean, I, 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 I mean, with all this, I mean, woo, okay, uh, that's crazy. Now, according to authorities, uh, Rittenhouse went to Kenosha armed with an MMP uh, assault rifle, uh, pretty much to guard a car dealership. And as the story goes, some type of shots were fired. Who knows who shot them? He goes and fires onto somebody else. Blah 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 blah. Uh, somebody was trying to take his weapon. And I and I understand this. Yes. I'm not trying to disarm a, an armed guy, uh, a guy with a gun, if I don't have one. By all means, I get where people's logic comes from that. Oh, that's stupid. That, well, first of all, it, I get it. So I, I get that argument. But at the same time, if I'm armed, if I were to have to happen to be armed, maybe with something similar to what he had, and I were to see him coming on the scene, I don't know who the fuck he is, I might fire on him. That's the... That's the thing he takes, again, on his end, because he doesn't know what he could have walked into on his end. He could have been ambushed and fired upon and filled with some bullets. We don't know. That's the, and that's the, and that's the, again, that's the 
the risk you take, especially now when people are seeing, oh, you're going to come armed. Again, who knows if the other side is going to say, well, fuck it, let's come armed too. And then you got, you got, you know, a white boy getting filled with some bullets. Now, who knows what could have happened if that was a situation. So, uh, it probably would have been some outrage. It probably would definitely would have been, you know, whatever, but that would have been his, you know, his choice. So you have to be careful. Um, on both sides. Yeah, I'm not disarming the guy who has the gun with, if I don't have one for one, sure, I'm not running up on him and trying to take him down. But if I'm the guy with the gun, I'm expecting you, if I'm ha if I'm having it, if there's any type of, you know, gunfire, I got to be ready for anything to come at me, right? That's the way it goes. If I'm shooting or if I'm in a position where I'm looking like I'm getting ready to shoot somebody, if somebody's packing, they're going to shoot him. So, he's just lucky he's alive himself he's definitely a murderer we'll see what happens during the trial which is set to take place january the 5th all right y'all we've gone through the news i'm gonna take a quick break because again like i said uh, we got some uh, a lot of college football to go over so uh top 25 action my ducks failed to get it done it again we're gonna get into a little bit of that what i think they should do there uh one uh new story to get into like i said a new coach is on campus campus uh, at a SEC school, so we're gonna talk a little bit about that, and uh, yeah, and just kind of detail just a little bit what I got planned uh, for the future. All right, y'all. So we'll be right back. I got a little that Santana. You could vibe a little bit to that. But let's get on into it. I got to break it down. College football week 14. Uh, we're going to start off with some action from, I believe it was Friday night. Yes, Friday night. Number 25, Louisiana got it done against uh, Appalachian State. It's a close game, though. Uh, but they got it done by three. 24-21 was the final score. Uh, Louisiana moves on to 9-1. and one. Uh, Appalachian State is 7-3. and three. Uh, For Louisiana, Levi Lewis will go 8-23. One uh, for 101 yards, he would throw a touchdown. He uh, he would rush for 77 yards though, so he helped out there. Elijah Mitchell was the team's leading rusher with 95 yards there. Trey Rags, uh, Trey Rogas, excuse me, also had uh, 43 rushing yards as well as two touchdowns on the ground. He would have a receiving touchdown. Linebacker uh, Farrard Garner would be the leads, uh, the team's leading tackler. He would have 10 defensive tackle. Taylor Humphrey would have seven total tackles. Linebacker uh, Chauncey Manick would have six total tackles. A and an interception for Appalachian State. Again, it was a difficult night for both quarterbacks. Zach Thomas would go 10-21 for 92 yards and two interceptions. Uh, we got Cameron Peoples, uh, 99 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Nate, uh, Nate Noel, 72 rushing yards and a touchdown. And Thomas Hennigan, 
uh, uh, four yards, four sorry, four receptions, 44 yards with a leading receiver and linebacker Trey Cobb, uh, leading defender here, uh, nine total tackles on him. On Saturday, you got Ohio State number four blowing out Michigan State, 52 to 12. We got number five, uh, sorry, number five Texas A&M blowing out Auburn. Well, kind of sort of, 31 to 20 was the final score. Uh, we have an upset. We have many to go over uh, on Saturday. Number 15 goes. Number 15 Oklahoma State goes down to TCU unranked TCU that is uh, 22 to 29 was the final score OK State is 6 and 3 TCU take aka Texas Christian University is 5 and 4 uh, for OK State Spencer Sanders will lead the way 17 to 35 under center 270 yards he would throw a touchdown but he would throw a pick uh, Desmond Jackson would have 118 yards on the ground but he would also have a touchdown Tylen Wallace the team's leading receiver 7 receptions 92 yards and a touchdown and Thomas Harper uh, defensively would have an interception. TCU, though, uh, Max Duggan, 12 of 26, tw uh, 265 yards for a TD. He would throw an interception as well, but he would have over 100 yards on the ground, and he would have two rushing touchdowns. Darius Davis would have six receptions and 139 yards on a touchdown, and Trayvon Moberg, uh, the defensive back, would have an interception as well. Moving on, we have another upset here. Another Number 21, Marshall, gets shut out by Rice, 20 to zip is a final score here uh, for Rice. They are just two and two in the year, so they moved to 500 this season. I believe you just need three wins to get a ball um, to get a ball berth, just because of you know coronavirus and what it's done to everybody's schedules. But that's all you need. So Rice, I believe, is I believe one win away. As for Marshall, uh, they dropped to seven and one, and they're gonna definitely drop out of the rankings. For Rice, Giovanni Johnson will lead the way under center for Rice. Uh, sorry, for the Owls. Excuse me. 10 of 14, 86 yards, uh, struggle from him. Ari Broussard will be the team's leading rusher, 62 yards on the ground. Jordan Myers would have a rushing uh, touchdown. Jake Bailey would have seven receptions and 57 yards. And linebackers, uh, linebackers, Blaze Aldrich, he would have 10 total tackles and an interception. And linebacker, Trey Sean uh, Chamberlain, eight total tackles and a half of a sack. He would also have an interception as well. Rice, uh, as a team, will force five total interceptions. So, a uh, bad day for Marshall and, uh, more importantly, Grant Wells, who went 18 of 35, 165 yards there, uh, but he gave up all five of those interceptions. Brandon Knox would be the team's leading rusher, 76 yards on the ground. Talik Keaton, the team's leading receiver, just seven. Well, he would have seven receptions seven receptions but just 48 yards linebacker Eli Neal uh, will be the team will, will be the leading tackler between both teams he would have 15 uh, moving on uh, we have North Carolina blowing out Western Carolina not really much to say there 49 and 9 is the final score there uh, we got Notre Dame number two in the nation getting it done against Syracuse 45 to 21 we got Tulsa getting it done against Navy uh, 19 to 6 Look for Tulsa to move up just a little bit in the rankings right now with a couple people dropping up above them. Uh, we have Iowa State finally making it to their first, I believe it's their first conference title game ever. I don't want to say ever, but I feel like if it's not ever, it's been in a very, very long time. Blowing the hinges off West Virginia 42-6. to Moving on uh, again. We have another close game here, Big Ten action. Uh, we got uh, Indiana getting it done against Wisconsin. Indiana came into this one number 12. Wisconsin came into this one uh, number 16. Uh, expect for Indiana to move up, uh, but since the playoff rankings are out, I'm just going to be focusing a lot on that for now until the end of the season because, again, 
it's obvious that number 12 and number 16 are not in the top four, so they're not really, you know, relevant at this point. Sorry to say that. Unless, again, people start losing and Indiana just happens to not lose, even though they've already taken a loss and something happens. I, I don't see either one of these teams kind of making their way at this point. But anyways, um, Indiana is 6-1. Wisconsin is 2-2. Two and two. Indiana, of course, they were still able to get it done even without Michael Penix. Uh, Jack Tuttle led the way 13-22, 130 yards for two touchdowns. Stevie Scott would have 57 rush yards. Uh, Wap Filor would have 47 receiving yards and a touchdown. That's his name. That's his name. Look it up. Tight end Peyton Hendershot would have a receiving touchdown. A linebacker Micah McFadden would have nine total tackles and two sacks. And defensive back Jamar Johnson would have four total tackles and an interception. So, again, a good defensive day from Indiana. Uh, their, um, their defensive squad, of course, came to show up to Mar Jamar Johnson. I think I mentioned it before in terms of interceptions. He steps up again, really helps them out there. Uh, they still get things done. They didn't move the ball as much as they wanted to, but they're not necessarily a rushing team. Uh, but, again, they got adequate play, well, really decent play from Tuttle with the two touchdowns. But moving on, Wisconsin, uh, Graham Mertz, uh, difficult day f uh, from him to say the least, 20-34, 202 yards, but he would have the pick. Uh, uh, Jalen Berger would have 87 uh, rushing yards. Tight end Jake Ferguson would have five receptions and 54 yards. Uh, the team's leading receiver. In terms of defense, linebacker Leo Chanel would have nine total tackles, and linebacker Jack Sanborn would have seven total tackles. Moving on to the SEC, we got number six, Florida, uh, blowing out Tennessee, uh, 31 to 19. Florida moves to eight and one. Tennessee moves down to two and six. For Florida, it's Kyle Trask. I, I think he's definitely under the radar in terms of the Heisman, if he's not uh, anybody's favorite. But 35 and 49 from him, 433 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. His touchdown to interception ratio is amazing. I think there are a couple other quarterbacks on par with him, which kind of I can see why he can kind of get lost in the mix. But, again, his numbers for SEC play, uh, since they put so much emphasis on how the how good the F SEC is, and pretty much that's all Florida does is pass the ball with him, you think he'd be up there. Uh, because Jacob Copeland, he only had 17 yards on the ground. That's that's all he got from the rushing game from the Gators. But Kyle Pitts was the leading receiver, seven receptions from him, 128 yards. Uh, Trevon Grimes would have six receptions for 55 yards and two touchdowns. And linebacker Ventrell Miller would have 12 total tackles and a sack. Defensive back, uh, I, I think it's uh, Trey, yeah, Trey Dean, he would have eight total tackles and a sack as well. So a sack party from the Gators. Um, defensively, they did what they had to do. Uh, Tennessee... What can you say from him? Harrison Bailey, 14 to 21, 111 yards from him. He would throw a touchdown. Oh, um, I'm guessing they're having a quarterback uh, competition right now because JT Schrock got some uh, playing action as well. He would go 12 to 14, uh, 121 yards and a touchdown. So take it at what you will, Tennessee fans. Um, who would you want your starter to be? Uh, Ty Chandler, 49 rushing yards and a touchdown. Robert C. Revelis Jones Jr. would have four receptions, 70 yards and a touchdown. Uh, running back Eric Gray would have a, rush, a receiving touchdown as well. And defensive back Warren Burrell would have eight total tackles. Moving on back to the Big Ten, we got Iowa beating up on Illinois. Illinois, this is just a sad day. Number 19, Illinois getting it done. Sorry, number 19, Iowa getting it done. 35-21 to 21 over the fighting, the fighting Illini out there in Illinois. Uh, now we're back out west uh, in the Pac-12. Uh, Stanford uh, gets an upset win over number 22, Washington, 
uh, putting the Pac-12 North in a frenzy and the Pac-12 in general just uh, that's this is why the media fucks with us y'all this is it and I'm gonna talk more about the Oregon game and why that's the case as well but uh yeah I, I had a I, well I was listening, I was watching the Oregon game we'll get to that in just a second let's get through Stanford and Washington first I'll get there Okay, 31-26 final score in Pac-12 play. Stanford led by David Mills. He's finally back in action. 20-30 for 252 yards. Well, he's been in action the past few weeks, but he's getting really into the swing of things. 252 yards and a touchdown. Austin Jones, 138 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. Nathaniel Pete would have a rushing touchdown. Uh, Rod receiver Simi Fohoko will be the team's leading receiver with four receptions and 61 yards. Linebacker Curtis Robinson would have six total tackles. And safety Kendall Williamson would have six total tackles as well. Uh, for Washington, Dylan Morris, you got 15 to, uh, 15 to 25 from him for 254 yards. Uh, no touchdowns through the air, but he would have a rushing touchdown. Uh, Sean McGraw will be the team's leading uh, rusher, uh, 65 yards there on the ground, and also two touchdowns. Uh, Ty Jones will be the team's leading receiver with 79 receiving yards. And linebacker Udafon Ulo, Ulo Foshio, for, forgive me if I mispronounce it. I'm trying, y'all. Eight total tackles from him. So, you know, again, Pac-12 like it normally does when teams don't want to step up and assert, you know, assert who they are. It it's becomes a league where they eat each other alive, and it's just a shame. Um, let's move on to some more top 25 play. We got number 13 BYU taking an L here uh, to Coastal Carolina. I believe that final score was 17 to 22. Um, it came down to the final play. Uh, great uh, game by both squads. Uh, Coastal Carolina stepped up with a one last play. Zach Wilson was able to drive. Uh, sorry, drive the Cougars down the field. One last play, threw it to the end zone. Coastal Carolina picks it off. I just remember that sequence. Uh, I think that was one of the best sequences of the season, in my opinion. I can't even remember the actual final score, but I just remember that sequence. It just overpowers me. But uh, Coastal Carolina remains undefeated, 10-0. Uh, BYU, uh, rem uh, well, sorry, gets their first loss. They are 9-1. Uh, in terms of the stats, BYU, of course, Zach Wilson, 19-30 from him. Uh, 240 yards, a touchdown, but he would throw a pick. Tyler Algier, over 100 yards from him, and a touchdown. Dax Milner, uh, sorry, Dax Milney, leading receiver with over 100 yards and a touchdown. Linebacker Keenan Peely, uh, nine total tackles from him, and defensive lineman Bracken Elbakri. I like that name for some reason. Bracken Elbakri. If he ever went pro, oh, I could see, I could see the freaking uh, just commentary drooling over that and just Bracken. El Brocky with the sack. Oh, man. 11 total tackles from him. No sacks, unfortunately. I would have loved to have said that. But Coastal Carolina, Grayson McCall, 10 of 15, 185 yards. Terrence, uh, Torrance Maribel, team's leading rusher, 132 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Reese White with that 53 yards uh, receiving and a touchdown. I'm sorry, 53 yards, I'm sorry, on the ground and a touchdown. Uh, Cameron Brown would have 47 receiving yards, team's leading receiver. Uh, safety Alex Spillum uh, would have five total tackles. And defensive back Derek Bush, five total tackles, a sack, and, and an interception. Um, as far as what to look for these guys in terms of postseason, uh, they're definitely going to get a ball game. Um, I'm thinking Coastal Carolina may be able to move up to what they would 
they would say it as a New Year's Six, uh, meaning the step right below um, the the college football playoff. I think it's like the Cotton Ball stuff like that. I think if they can keep winning, I don't see why not. The BYU win should enhance that, especially if they say undefeated. Um, I know the com- I know the playoff or you know just the the ranking committee and the AP is looking for them to, to fall so you know they can make them drop a little bit because they're gonna just you know tarnish their you know conference that they play in as soon as they lose. But if they're able to win out, I don't see why they can't make it to a step below the college football playoff. I don't think they're gonna. I don't think the college football playoff committee is really open to a team like Coastal Carolina right now. Um, for that to happen, Coastal Carolina will have to have a few years of this undefeated type of play, no type of coronavirus going on, uh, maybe even playing a big conference at some point before they would ever look. Maybe they would not. They would probably even have to move to another conference, a bigger conference, for them to even like consider a team like that. But this year, I don't see it happening. But maybe uh, if they can win out, possibly uh, New Year's Six ball, which is right the step below. Uh, college football playoff so they'll get a significant ball in my opinion uh they'll definitely turn their their fortunes around uh they could probably use this season as a real good recruiting recruiting tool and they could move from there because they've definitely made a lot of improvements in terms of the campus uh in terms of that uh athletic facility i've actually seen it uh not in person but of course online and you know just in media and uh via social media and it's really a de- it's really a good campus. Um, it's it's out there. Um, I don't want to say in the Goonies of North Carolina, or whatever. It's, I think he had his North Carolina, but um, it's definitely not in one of those major cities. But it's like again a really prominent campus. Uh, so again, there's money that's flowing in there. I think a good season like this, you know, with a with a with a really highly publicized ball game, uh, would do a lot for their program. So uh, big up to them for getting a win like this. Uh, I know there was a lot of, you know, a lot of questioning from BYU because they wanted to play even higher ranked team this week. They wanted to play the even higher ranked team. They wanted to play Cincinnati this week, but, you know, they drew Coastal Carolina. Uh, but Coastal Carolina is nothing to fuck with. Uh, let's move on. We got some more Pac-12 action. And this is, again, uh, like I said, nobody wants to assert the dominance in this conference. So they are going to eat each other a lot. Uh, Cal gets his first win of the season at the expense of my Oregon Ducks. 21-17 is the final score here, of course. Oregon came into this one, number 23. That is live. <laughs> That's likely to be over now. Uh, Oregon is now 3-2 and two on the year. Cal, like I said, uh, gets his first win to go along with three losses. Uh, for Oregon, Tyler Shuck will go 14-26 for 231 yards. Touchdown, but he would lose a fumble. No interceptions, though. Uh, but Travis Dye would have 71 rushing yards. Team's leading rusher. He would also be the team's leading receiver with 85 rushing yards. Uh, Johnny Johnson would have a receiving touchdown as well. On the defensive side, defensive back Michael Wright would have seven total tackles. And uh, defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau would have five total tackles and a sack. Uh, for Cal, Chase Garbers would have a, would go 20, 20 of 32 for 183 yards. He would have a touchdown. He'd also have a rushing touchdown as well. Uh, my, uh, Marcel Darcy was a team leading rusher with 34 yards. Uh, Nico Remigio will be a team's leading receiver, six receptions, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Linebacker Kawoni Dang uh, would have eight total tackles, and linebacker Cameron Good would have seven total tackles and a sack. Now, my issue uh, with this game 
is simply this quarterback play. Tyler Shuck played very scared in the pocket. Uh, I guess, you know, Cal got to him early. He uh, was making some plays, running the ball, and they, you know, were hitting him. But that's what they're supposed to do defensively. You know, um, you got to learn to slide. You got to learn to, you know, avoid all that at some point, too, Mr. Shuck. And I think over the course of the game, the hits and just the pressure that Cal would sometimes put on him got to the best, got the best of him. I think in terms of, I mean, I know you'll have a lot of fans that will kind of quasi-defend him by saying, oh, Marbell, uh, sorry, Cristobal, Mario Cristobal in the coaching, um, at least offensively, wasn't, he was hitting this or whatever. I actually thought the play calling was really good. Uh, C.J. Verdell just didn't happen to step up. Uh, and again, you just did not have a second receiving option outside of Johnny Johnson here with the receiving touchdown. Um, Camp Poyer, the tight end, made a couple of plays. Uh, and they could have utilized him a lot maybe in the end zone. But Tyler Show. Uh, Tyler Shuck, excuse me, playing so inconsistently, uh, not really connecting on passes, being a little bit timid in the in the pocket in terms of my opinion, in my opinion, uh, just really affecting the the flow of that offense. Now, don't get me wrong, there were some penalties uh, that were called too that really stalled some drives, uh, some holding penalties, uh, false start penalties that didn't really need to be called. Uh, but again, when you're playing sloppy, when you're playing down. To the level of your opponent that is the kind of stuff that happens so unfortunately we had to deal with that but i think a lot of this um you can say what we want uh we can say what we want about play calling defensively the play calling was superb especially in the second half uh cal uh you know really uh got lucky uh with that one play uh, i believe it was in the third quarter uh got us uh got their receivers go deep at one point uh made a decent play actually you know what i'm not gonna say they got lucky they just made a really good play there because again uh we asked you know they have been playing this short game for the majority of the game and uh we got a little bit lulled into that and they made a good play there in the third quarter so i'm gonna give them that or maybe it could even been the fourth uh so i will give cal that play uh but for the most part oregon for sacks oregon was in garber's face oregon uh shut down darcy and their running game uh, for what it's worth, and that has been one of our Achilles' heel throughout the past couple of weeks, especially in our losses. Uh, but again, uh, we have some issues here in terms of our passing defense, obviously. Uh, Nico Remigio had not really been a factor in Cal's offense the past few weeks, um, but again, in this game, he definitely was, uh, I would say, definitely the, the factor in this game. Uh, so, again, you got to go through that. And, again, the Pac-12 just seems to eat each other alive when a team like Oregon and Washington uh, will, uh, you know, just decides, oh, well, I don't want to play up to my standard this year. Uh, you know, for Oregon, I guess, they're coming off the little loss to Oregon State. Again, that's rivalry game. It happens. They seem to be under a funk from that. We'll see what happens. I don't think it's necessarily Crystal Ball's fault. I'm riding with Crystal Ball. I didn't like Shuck's performance. I'm, I, you know, and, and me, honestly, we're a little bit too deep in the season, I guess, for all that. But I, I would, I man, I, I, I really did not like Shuck's performance. I man, mm. to me, I would almost feel like it's open practice <laughs> in terms of that position right there. But that's my opinion. But moving on, uh, let's get out of it. Let's get out of that. Uh, let's move back to the ACC where Clemson gets it done against Virginia Tech, blows them out, forty-five to ten, uh, number three in the nation. Uh, there uh, we got number eleven, Oklahoma. 
beating um, Baylor 27-14. So the Big 12 championship will be Oklahoma versus Iowa State. I think they have matched up in this season uh, as well. Uh, but moving on, we got number one, Alabama, getting it done against LSU in a big way, 55-17. to LSU is just falling apart. I don't know what to tell y'all. And finally, we got number 10, Miami, getting it done against Duke, shutting them out 48-0. to Not too much to say there, Duke. Uh, hasn't really been a threat in many years. Uh, but uh, some news, a bit of news here. Uh, South Carolina, like I said, uh, out there in the SEC has decided to, you know, bring in their new coach. Uh, and that coach is going to be, um, his name is, I'm sorry, Shane Beamer. He's going to be their new head coach. Now, since then, uh, Beamer has worked with the Sooners as an assistant uh, for the past three seasons. He's also the son of Hall of Fame coach Frank Beamer. Uh, from Virginia Tech. Now he plans on bringing in former Gamecocks QB and also he's a quarterback coach, Connor Shaw, to the staff as well. Uh, now Beamer has had previous experience with South Carolina, uh, having worked under former head coach Steve Spurrier uh, from 2007 to 2010. He was served as a recruiting co coordinator from 09 to 20, sorry, from 2009 to 2010. And he will bring in uh, such athletes as uh, Marcus Lattimore, the running back position, who ended up, you know, at one point being drafted. He was one of the top running backs in the in the in the country until the injury um, really messed his career up. Uh, but he, he again one of the best running backs in college football in that era. Uh, he also brought in Connor Shaw, like I said, who's now going to be serving on the staff with him. Uh, he also led them to some success as well in 2010. Uh, he also brought in wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey, who's still in the NFL. DJ Swearinger, who's in the NFL, and also Stephon Gilmore, who's probably the best of these players so far that we've mentioned. Uh, all of them, like I said, remain in the league. Uh, also, uh, Beamer would help that team with those recruits uh, finish with three 11 win seasons and also three top 10 finishes. So uh, I think this is a definitely a home run hire from South Carolina, somebody who's from this, well, who's been within the system, who's had some success with them, who's made some ties within that state, who's brought in some good talent. He's also brought in linebacker Melvin Ingram and also defensive engine Davion Clowney. So Shane Beamer uh, gets his first knock at um, coaching. I really liked how he did different. He, you know, really was a part of different aspects of college football before he got into head coaching. So you can see he was a you know, a recruiting coordinator. He's coached different positions. Uh, so he knows all different positions. He should be a really great play caller. His father was a great play caller defensively, so we know he's going to come in there with a defensive mind. But when I looked over uh, a lot of his resume, he also worked as a lot of, well, position coaches for a lot of offensive positions as well. So I think he's has a good knowledge of both, well, great, almost mad, would have a master of knowledge. If his father, I would... I don't know. I mean, you know, it's kind of just, you know, like a blacksmith and their dad, you know, I feel like that's kind of the, the situation here. So I think he's almost like a master defense and he's, you know, has so much uh, experience offensively, coaching offensively, position wise. And also, like, like I guess, like I said, again, he has the experience with the recruiting. So, again, you got that trifecta there. Um, let's see who, we can, who else he can bring in to coach with him. That'll be his another, you know, thing we test him on. But. I think that's a good high for South Carolina, a team that's really looking to kind of improve since um, they really haven't really had that much success. I think they've only had uh, three coaches uh, that have that had seasons with three or more wins, and Steve Spurrier uh, had about three of them. And, well, who helped him with that? Your boy here. 
all right y'all so i'm gonna call it a wrap for today uh, as far as as far as what else i got going on of course monday night i want to go through uh all the nfl action of week 13 i'll just give you guys the power uh the power and just right then and there uh so we can just i don't have to worry about it get out the way don't worry um also uh, i'll be going over the top four for the college football playoff ranking that'll be done pretty soon actually that'll be done along with the nfl action course i have some news to go along with that as well as far as the youtube is concerned i got one more sports stories that i want to get out right away uh also i want to get into some i'm gonna blow this motherfucker up my other uh series where i uh where i challenge popular propaganda so we're gonna get into that i'm gonna get into some you know propaganda pretty soon some more reviews um so busy 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 i'm just trying to stay as consistent as i can a lot that i a lot that I have on my plate right now. So if you are getting trying to get in touch with me, you can hit me up on my Facebook, L Jamal Johnny, E L J A M A H. Uh, also, uh, oh sorry, L Jamal Johnny, E L J A M A H A D J A N I. I have a Facebook page for the show as well. Never out of bounds. Check that out. Never out of bounds. Also have a, a face. Uh, sorry, Instagram as well. You can follow me on there uh, at L Jamal seven ninety one E L J A M A H seven ninety one. Also, a YouTube channel, of course. I just said that. YouTube channel, Never Out of Bounds. Same name as the podcast. You can find me, Bounce, B-O-U-N-D-S, not Bounce, not whatever. B-O-U-N-D-S, you know what it is. It's your man, El Jamal. And for now, uh, enjoy your Sunday. I am signing out for now. Peace out, one love, and I'll highlight you guys later.